Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things it can do for people and the planet. I'm Kevin Fulta, professor at University of Florida, and this week we're going to talk about something a little different. Not biotechnology, but an extension of a very interesting technology that uses a lot of bio uh, in different forms. So one of the problems that we have in agriculture is the need for pesticides to control pests, whether it's fungus, whether it's insects, whether it's weeds, there are a lot of different organisms that can stand in the way of efficient agricultural productivity. And I've always been super interested in clever ways to help solve the problem of controlling pests and pathogens, and at the same time doing it sustainably with an eye on less environmental impact. I was really excited last week to be able to visit uh, with representatives from the company BVT, B-Vectoring Technologies. And before we talk too much about what they do, I'll give you a little teaser and that this is about bees and pesticides and the two actually working together rather than the traditional way we think of them as being in opposition. So with me today from BVT, we have Sherry Tedford, who's the Senior Research Associate at BVT, Everett Hendrickson, who's a Territory Manager, who was kind enough to put me in a bee suit last week, and Ian Collinson, who's a Project Manager in the project, and also Greg Faust, who they refer to as Superman, who's a Marketing Manager who has many different hats inside the company. Well, most of the work okay. that you showed me last week in Plant City, Florida, was on the crop of strawberries. It seems to be that this is solving a problem with fungal pathogens. Can you tell me a little bit more about what happens there and why it's important? One of the major problems in strawberries is a disease called botrytis gray mold. And botrytis essentially affects the flowers. The flowers in strawberries turn into the fruit. Um, and if botrytis is not controlled you can lose a substantial uh, quantity of your yield, but also your quality goes down. So it affects yield, it affects quality, and the quality effects is post-harvest. So if the flowers have infected with botrytis, um, it will translate to softer fruit and fruit that becomes uh, less or not marketable at the uh, time that a grower wants to sell it into the, uh, the retail or the food service channels. And maybe I could just add to that, specifically the post-harvest shelf life. That can lead some growers to spray more frequently than um, maybe would be recommended by label. And so the BVT system can kind of help them, if they would like to, reduce the number of sprays that they feel they need to achieve a, a good control of that disease. It's something I've always found very intriguing, that this gray mold or this kind of gray fur that happens on your strawberries when you buy them, after you buy them, or sometimes you see it in the grocery store, it leads to a huge post-harvest loss, but it's something that starts with a, with a fungal infection in the flower. You're looking at something that is an infection that started weeks before the fruit was actually there in the store. And so 
farmers are currently, you know, Sherry, you started talking about the idea of fewer sprays. What are the strategies farmers are currently using to control fungal disease in strawberries? There's a spray program that most growers uh, subscribe to, and that is prevention throughout the season. So already when the crop is uh, a couple weeks from even the first fruit being produced, they're starting to spray to keep fungus from developing within that crop. Some growers will spray uh, on a calendar schedule. Others will spray based on an alert type of system, for instance, that they would follow from the university that would tell them when the probability of disease development is highest and they would then spray accordingly. But the bottom line is there's a lot of spraying that does occur and it does uh, create um, a cost that the grower has to uh, absorb. Uh, and it also puts pressure on the fungicides from a resistance management standpoint. Uh, so botrytis is a very difficult disease to control. If certain products are overused, the pathogen does develop resistance over time. So being uh, really thrifty on how much that a grower sprays is important for a number of reasons. So the new technology really is working as a complement to uh, this existence, existing spray program and maybe even helping to limit it, perhaps. But could you tell me more about the existing technology from BVT? The BVT technology essentially is uh, a biological that is very effective in uh, essentially controlling or stopping the development of botrytis, the most serious disease in strawberries. And to make it work effectively, it needs to be um, essentially applied to the plant prior to the onset of the disease. So the program consists of putting bees, uh, in this case bumblebees, into the field um, at the time of uh, the essentially the transplants are getting going and the crop is getting going, but it's, it's pre-first harvest. And the bees then are delivering the biological on each trip out of the hive. So the bees are continuously visiting flowers uh, on the strawberry plant, which turn into the fruit. They are depositing a few spores on each trip to the flowers. These spores then essentially germinate on that flower and then essentially outcompete the botrytis that would develop. So it's competitive ex- exclusion is the process, but from an overall seasonal perspective, it provides a first line of defense um, that will really keep the detritus levels in check. And growers can then utilize their fungicides when pressure is mounting due to weather and uh, temperature humidity for the development of detritus. So an integrated approach with the BVT-delivered biological throughout the entire season, starting early, uh, supplemented with scheduled or sprays when the propensity of disease development is highest, is the approach that uh, growers are using. And we're seeing that they are able to reduce the number of fungicide sprays in many cases uh, with this program. So really what we're looking at is a biological, which is a complement to what Growers are already using as an integrated pest management system, right? That is correct. 
So the bee is actually being used as a very precise crop duster, basically. You have a hive full of bees that are somehow getting coated with spores. But how does that actually happen as this bee exits the hive? The commercial bumblebee box comes in the plastic box about the size of the shoe box, um, where they're made in, in a factory where the bees are actually reared um, to maturity, and then they clip the hives in and ship them out to the field where we receive them. And the box has a two-way system. So there's only one way in and one way out. When the bees come back from foraging in the field, they walk through a tunnel with a trap door behind them, and they go into the brood. And then as they exit the hive, they walk through a, a plastic tray with a specific amount of our product in it. So that contains the active ingredient, our quantostachys, and a product we call Vectorite. And the Vectorite is just the adhesive or the carrying agent that allows active ingredients to attach to the bee's hairy legs. So as the bees walk through that powder, they exit the hive, and then they go visit each bloom. And it's important that they visit the bloom as that's the main portal of entry for diseases like botrytis. So we can accurately drop off the product where it's needed rather than spraying the entire crop that. It might not really be doing anything or may not be needed. No, it's really brilliant because you're basically exploiting the properties of a bee body and the bee, um, you know, the furriness of a, of a bumblebee that it uses to deliver pollen. Only now you're putting a different payload on that bee and having it delivered. And you mentioned another nice point. You're able to get the flowers that may also be under a canopy or in a canopy where a spray may miss. So this is a really, exactly. you have a very precise delivery system that's working here, but they're delivering something called clonostachys. And I've always known clonostachys as a parasitizing fungus for uh, other fungi, but, you know, may, maybe Sherry, you could tell me a little bit more about the mechanism for how clonostachys is working in the BVT system. Sure. So clonostachys rosea is a pioneer colonizer of the tissue which essentially just means that it's a preventative um, fungus that can enter into the tissue using natural openings or wounds, and then it will colonize and just live in there happy and be dormant. And when a pathogen tries to infect that same tissue, there's no space. So it's called competitive exclusion. And then there's also competitions. Co there's also a competition for resources, so it just means that those infections can't infect the tissue, and they also can't really take hold because there's no food or space for them to live in that tissue. There's also some evidence um, in the primary literature that planostachys can actually induce a natural resistance to some pathogens. And then, like you mentioned, it also can work through microparasitism. So there are some really cool pictures, scanning um, electron microscope pictures, that show the hyphae of planostachys actually wrapping around and essentially infecting the hyphae of botrytis. So it's stealing the nutrients from the actual living pathogen itself. One other concern that people have is that you're using a technology on the farm and that that may be something that isn't considered compatible with organic production schemes. So if you're uh, using this in conventional agriculture, can you use it in organic production? Yes, you can, and there's various certifying agencies or companies for organic, and the organic uh, certifiers have been approving it as organic 
Omri, the, the most significant, has already approved it for uh, organic use uh, in organic crops. So we're on the Talking Biotech podcast. We're talking with a group from BVT, B Vectoring Technologies. They're talking about how they're able to recruit bees as the newest soldiers in the war on fungi, but also better environmental solutions towards pest control on the farm. This is the Talking Biotech podcast, and we'll be back with you in just a moment. Hello, Talking Biotech listeners. This is Nick Syke from No Ideas Media. If you've never heard of No Ideas Media, we make science and agriculture communications videos to be shared on social media sites like YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. The videos are not bad, if I do say so myself, and they are pretty effective at communicating complex science and ag topics to the general public. But in order for them to reach the public, I need people like you to share the videos widely. I also need people like you to support No Ideas Media through Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding site, kind of like Kickstarter, but it works on smaller monthly donations. So if you'd like to help No Ideas Media continue the work that we're doing, please go to patreon.com backslash noideasmedia and consider being a patron. Thanks very much. And we're back on the Talking Biotech podcast. Today we're talking with the team from BVT, B Vectoring Technology, and the way in which they're using bees essentially as natural crop dusters, delivering a biological antifungal compound, in this case a competing fungal type, specifically to the flowers of fruit. And this way they're actually stopping the infection before it starts. And uh, as, as basically... Uh, giving a beneficial infection to stop a dangerous one. And maybe that's a good way to think about it. But one of the big things that will come up for sure is that when you put the word pesticide, even if it's a biological control, and bees in the same sentence, red flags are going to go off everywhere. And so what are the effects of this particular fungus on the bees itself? And do they affect the colony? I think one of the maybe misnomers of, of pesticide or fungicide, especially with our product, is we're actually not killing anything. There's no side. So the clonistac is that we use and the active ingredients that we use, we would never apply anything that would have any negative impact on the bees. And a, a part of our registration process and testing process is doing toxicology reports, um, testing it on, on bees and making sure that they're healthy, um, as well as doing larval studies. We want to make sure that we're covering our basis, make sure that the bees are healthy um, and that people are healthy and it's safe for everyone. Um, as far as, you know, bringing the, the powder out itself, it's so microscopic, it's so small, it would not, you know, the bees wouldn't even notice it as they walk through the powder. Um, the powder that we put in the tray, they're one-time use trays so that they're always sanitary. We change them out every three days. Um, there's a very specific amount of powder in there so that the bees don't clog up their um, their lungs and so that when they deliver, they're delivering the maximum payload without having any additional strain. Um, and as far as bringing any product back into the colony, as I mentioned before, it's a, it's a two-way system or a one-way system. So they can't, um, you know, they, they have to leave the hive and walk through the powder. They don't come back through it. Um, and even if clonostacus did come back into the hive, generally the hives run at a temperature where the clonostacus wouldn't live, but it also doesn't really have a host. There's nothing for the clonostacus in there to attack 
or to outcompete or to to live on. What is Clonostachys exactly, and where do we find it in the natural environment? I mean, is this something that was derived in a laboratory just to be uh, for this use, and is something really unnatural that could have other types of uh, maybe unintended ecological effects? It is actually a naturally occurring fungus that is ubiquitous in soils throughout the world. So our particular strain was actually isolated by Dr. John Sutton at the Arcal Research Station in Ontario. And um, he cultured it from the roots of a winter wheat plant. And so he just took it to his lab and plated it out. And then through development of the technology and the product, it has then been formulated into the bacteria that the bees can carry. But it's definitely not synthetic um, and it's naturally occurring. Well, that's really good because those are the things that people will find to be most important is how do they affect the bees and how do they affect the environment. But the other side of this is how do they actually work on the farm? And can you tell me a little bit about the kinds of crops that's been deployed on and really what, what has been the experience and what has been the response to farmers to this new technology? Do they seem to have some acceptance? We have uh, focused on the berry crops initially uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, they are very affected by botrytis. Uh, in the case of blueberries, uh, it's affected by uh, a disease called monolinia and sclerotinia. So the clonostachys active ingredient, the biological, uh, we've looked at, again, what diseases does it control most effectively and which crops are most affected by those, and then uh, which are pollinated. So that's kind of our, our go-to-market uh, approach here. So strawberries is typically a self-pollinating crop, but it has a very difficult issue with detritus. So that's why we've gone to that crop with this system. Blueberries uh, is a crop that is being pollinated extensively. It needs pollination to produce a crop. So growers are already using bees, and then our biological being delivered by the bees is just a very natural fit. Uh, cane berries or blackberries, uh, raspberries are also uh, within this scope of a, a very nice fit for the product, and we're working there as well. Field crops, uh, sunflowers uh, have a difficult issue with sclerotinia uh, that the sprayers can't get to because the sunflower heads as they mature turn down. The bees are a very effective method of delivering uh, the clonostachys to that uh, sunflower head, also canola. For tree crops, we're working with almonds and apples and other vegetable crops, melons, tomatoes, and peppers. Uh, the tomatoes and peppers are being indoor. So we're looking at um, crops that are pollinated for the most part, also crops that have a severe disease infestation that the clonostachys is effective in controlling. What the other part of your question with the growers, what they're looking for is an alternative uh, tool, let's say, to manage their fungus fungicide problem or their, their fungus problems and to go beyond traditional fungicides. As I mentioned earlier, there are many fungicide classes that growers do have at their disposal for, for uh, using to manage. However, with some of these diseases, they are so uh, difficult to control over time and they, they do develop resistance uh, to some of these uh, these classes of chemistry. So growers are very aware of that. 
and what works when these new fungicides are first introduced may not work after six or eight or ten years because of, of overuse. So because growers are aware of that, they're looking for tools that can help them extend the life of their good fungicides. So they're thinking always of how can they keep those good fungicides in their back pocket and only use them when they're needed. And the Clonostacus, the BBT system here, is a great system to help them preserve their fungicides to reduce the use of the fungicides and use them when they're truly needed. Have you done any surveys or any kind of feeling about how consumers feel about this kind of technology? Only because they're very sensitive to their charismatic insects, right? Like, you know, their butterflies and bees. And do consumers look at this kind of thing as exploitative of a bee? Or they look at it as a cool way to be able to use a bee, uh, to give the bee a little something and still at the same time be able to cut fungicide use? It's a complicated story. And generally, consumers feel, uh, we believe that there's a, a real positive connotation to this technology. But there are also the questions. So it's a uh, a technology that has to be described uh, quite well to put consumers at ease that we indeed have the safety data on the bees, and therefore that's where the EPA comes in in the registration. Um, so we believe that as the EPA uh, reviews the studies and essentially checks the box that says, yes, this is safe, this is okay, we are going to register this material, that that is our measure of assurance to the public that this has gone through the standard, you know, uh, reviews of any type of material that is going to control a, a problem. So synthetic fungicides go through this review. Biological fungicides, such as Clonostacus, also go through these similar type of safety reviews for the, uh, uh, the non-target organisms, in this case the bees. Just to build off that, I think there's a there is a bit of a knee jerk reaction when we tell them that we're using bees to deliver an organic fungicide um, because of, you hear of bees dying in the news very often and how important bees are to the environment. Um, but with a little education, I think it goes a long way. You know, we're we're using commercial bumblebees that um, have a limited lifespan. They're you know they're not found in the environment, um, and we're always using commercial bees. These aren't. You know, we're not using native pollinators. Um, we're not, you know, adding or subtracting anything from the environment. Um, as well as, as, you know, as Greg said, you know, we, we can provide all the toxicology. We've done all the science behind it to ensure the safety for our bees. So you're using bumblebees, but what about honeybees and honey producers? Is there a market for them too? Yes, honeybee, the honeybee market today uh, derives their revenue and profits from two things. Obviously, the honey portion but also pollination, and there is uh, many parts of the country where the pollination revenue is actually higher for the honeybee producers than the honey itself. But the honeybee segment of the market is under a lot of pressure because there are issues with honeybee health, and these growers have struggled. So they're looking for alternative methods of gathering revenue and to serve the customer in a broader way. The honeybee producer then looks at the system and really sees it as a way of adding revenue um, through this delivery system. So they would get paid from the grower to do the normal pollination, 
and then there would be a upcharge to the delivery of the biological, uh, in this case, clonostachys. So the industry is generally quite excited about this. They have the infrastructure in place and the relationships with the growers in these various pollinated crops, and they will and are asking the hard questions about bee safety and uh, really a, a great check in the system to ensure that, uh, you know, we have the proper studies in place as we bring this to market with the honeybee delivery. The other critical piece of this puzzle is the grower itself. And you mentioned the need for having this new technology on site, which requires hives and bees, and the new technology and changing it every few days. What are the economics of this like? And are there savings elsewhere that really make this a very worthwhile addition to the farm? The economics come from several different areas. Uh, first of all, from a cost input perspective, as the growers uh, deploy the BBT system, there is certainly cost. If it's a crop that they're already using bees, that's a sunk cost, so that's not incremental. The biological then would be incremental. In a crop like strawberries where they're not pollinating, then both the bees and the biological stack is, is incremental. However, when we compare the savings in fungicide applications and look at the overall cost of detritus management, for instance, in strawberries, as an example, the cost to the grower would be very similar to what they're currently uh, paying today for just the fungicide. So we're pretty much keeping the grower whole. In some crops, we're looking at savings. The yield, on the other hand, as you control detritus, the data from Florida, and quite a bit of the data was done through um, independent growers, as well as the University of Florida, would indicate anywhere from about 8 to 16% yield increase. And at $30,000 an acre for strawberry revenue, that's very significant. So we're looking at, um, you know, thousands of dollars of increased yield that a grower can um, make or save, let's say, in this case, and not lose to botrytis with the use of the system in an overall integrated approach. So economics is whole and profitable uh, for the grower um, when you look at the overall system that uh, BBT is fitting into here. So that's really great. What's so exciting about this is that it checks two of the important boxes towards sustainability, right? It's uh, being able to keep a farmer economically sustainable by delivering another opportunity for integrated pest management, this time towards a fungus that uh, decreases yield and also affects post-harvest quality. It's good for the consumer. And it's also something that's good for the environment because it's helping to curtail the number of sprays that are needed and having basically a benign effect on uh, bees and neighboring fungi or resident fungi. Really seems to be cool stuff. So it'll be exciting to watch this grow and continue to do well. Uh, If people wanted to learn more, where could they look online? They could check out our website at com or follow us on Twitter at BVTech or find us on Facebook at Vectoring Technology. Very good. And and just to clarify, for the Twitter username is at B-E-E-V-T-E-C-H. So B and then the letter V and then tech. 
Yeah, well, thank you very much. Um, it, it's Sherry Tebford, uh, Everett Hendrickson, Ian Collinson, and Greg Faust. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. And, you know, best wishes for your company and keep me posted on new developments. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you. Will do. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. And thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. As always, tell a friend about what we're talking about here and how new technologies like those offered by BVT may help soften the interface with agriculture and the consumer, realizing that people are working hard to come up with sustainable solutions to help people and the planet. My name's Kevin Folta. Thank you again for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at collabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.